Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live and to Ask Evelyn Kung. I'm Shannon Penrod, and I'm so thrilled to be here with you guys this morning for this really special hour. You know that a lot of times on Wednesday, we have Dr. Doreen Grampy-Shea here with us, and she's not able to be with us here today. But I'm so excited because Evelyn Kung is here, and we haven't had her on in a long time. And she, if you, if you know Evelyn, you know she is luscious. She is just absolutely fabulous and a true expert in the field of autism having worked in this field. How many years, Evelyn, have you been working in this field? More than half my life. <laughs> and, and But see, you know, you look pretty young, so that may not be as impressive to people. But you've been working in this field for a long time, and I'm just going to brag on you for a second that, you know, some of the things that Evelyn is really known for is that the breadth of the work that she has done, uh, that Evelyn has worked with kiddos from when they were very little that, you know, and stayed in contact with them up through, you know, we used to say when they went to college and all of that, but you, you have, you have people that you saw them when they were little and they're married and have kids now and are, are working their jobs or owning their businesses. I'm like, like you've seen that whole thing, but you also have been helpful and consulted on clients that have been senior citizens that have come in the door and said, I need some help and support here. And, and I want, I mean, there's so many things that are good about you, but you, you've seen it all, you've done it all. So it's like a fast track to talking to somebody who has seen all that there is to see. I don't think there's anybody, anything that we could shock you with anymore. Is that accurate? <laughs> I don't think I've seen all because remember it's a spectrum. <laughs> well, there you go. But see, She's got the perfect response to that. Um, <laughs> she's also kind and compassionate and thinks of individuals as individuals, as just evidenced by that. But you've seen a lot, let's say that you have so much experience in this field to be able to look at things in a way that maybe other people who are less seasoned wouldn't. So I'm just so grateful for that. But I also have to say that you are like a wonder when it comes to those executive function skills that I think a lot of people on the spectrum and off the spectrum get really tripped up on that, you know, helping our kiddos to understand where something goes off the track and how they can utilize their thinking skills to get them back on track to accomplish the goals that they want. You, you just are amazing at that. Can I just spread some love on you for that? Thank you for your kind words. <laughs> well, it's true. And it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's part of the reason why, you know, many kids, have, including my kid, come in and were treated at CARD at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders and you know, we got best ABA care and like amazing things came to pass for us because that happened. But, and then our kids graduate from their program, uh, but then, you know, it's five years later and something comes up and I, as the parent go, I don't know what to do about that. (laughs) And, and frequently parents will call, call back to card and go, I have a question. Uh, when it comes to this, what do we do? And you're like the the saint walking the earth that not only will take the call, but also has the answer, has the roadmap. 
and and you always find the joy in that, Evelyn. It's just an incredible thing. You're such a gift. I love helping. So it's this is, you know, I love problem solving. So well, this is like the perfect thing for me. <laughs> well, and being here this hour, that's part of what Evelyn is here to do is to hear from you guys, hear your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, your concerns. Uh, we want you to start writing in right now. We're live right now on Facebook and on YouTube and Twitter and on our homepage, autism-live.com. So we're live on all of those places, plus about a dozen more. But those are the places that are the easiest to interact. If you want to write in on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, it shows up uh, almost immediately in our chat. In fact, I love it when you guys write in and tell us where in the world are you watching from? Like, you know, I, I, I'm, I am geographically challenged, but being on the show has made me better because I'm curious. And so you guys write in and say that you're from somebody and I, I find myself going, where on the map is that? So please feel free to write in and say hello to Evelyn Kung and to me and tell us where you're watching, but also write in with your questions. I know everybody waits until the last 15 minutes of the hour, and I want to encourage you, don't wait for that. So um, feel free to write in. I, I do want to tell you that we're, we're, although we're live right now, the show will also podcast later on today to all the places that you get your podcast. It is a free download to you. It's no cost to you to download the show. And we've done so many shows over the years and there, the library is available to you to download. I really encourage you that if you want to look at the breadth of our videos over time, go to our YouTube channel or our homepage from both of those places. Homepage is autism-live.com. From those, both of those places, you can search topics. I had a, an amazing letter this morning, Evelyn, from somebody who's been watching the show, a teacher who's been watching the show for over six years and said that the other day they were, um, they were having a behavior issue and they were trying to figure out what to do. And they were like, you know... Let's, let's go to Autism Live and search it up to see have they answered this question for somebody else before, which just, you know, made my heart really happy because uh, there are videos there and we've answered a lot of questions over the years. Um, so I encourage you to go either of those uh, two places to, to search up past previous um, videos, but um, we are live right now and we love the interaction live. We have some starter questions that people have written into us, but then I, you know, very quickly, I really like to go to the the questions that you guys are sending in live because it's, it's just so much fun for us. It's absolutely so much fun for us. Now I do have to give a disclaimer uh, at the start of the show that uh, Evelyn is an expert and she's going to be answering your questions to the best of your ability, but here are the ground rules. You have to understand that there is no individual who could give individual, give individual specific advice. That's what I want to say, right? I'm not a lawyer, but, but let, understand this, that Evelyn does not have eyes on the situation. So uh, you're going to give her as much information as you can, but respectfully, she's not going to be able to give you the be all end all answer. What she's going to be able to give you is knowledge and questions to take to the person who does have eyes on the situation. And it's going to help save you time, energy, and money, and maybe help your stomach lining. Uh, but I'm saying good morning to Parker and to Jennifer who have already written in with questions. Um, and you know, I'm just going to, cause you asked and, and Parker said, here's a quickie. And we like quickies. Hopefully this isn't a silly question. There are no silly questions. Uh, with the U.S. Department of Education's recent ruling on masks, what is Dr. Kung's advice on this? They want to know, Evelyn, uh, where are you on masks? Now, I'm going to assume, Parker, and tell me if I'm wrong, that you're referring to the fact that they were saying that all kids need to go to school and all kids need to be masked. If you're, But everything seems to be changing every 10 minutes. So if you know something different than that, that's the assumption upon which we're going to answer this question, that all kids need to go to school, all kids need to be masked. With the asterisk, that, and they have given an asterisk saying that it may not be possible for some people for medical reasons or... Um, behavioral reasons, which I guess, I don't know, is that a medical reason? Uh, Evelyn, are you interested in talking about where you are in the mask? Mandate? I am. You know, autism has come, the generation of where, you know, what causes autism has always, has been a discussion, you know, ongoing. And there is a certain component of research that shows that um, one of the environmental, you know, 
things that could set off, you know, the, you know, uh, autism is that it's an immune system dysfunction. And that means, you know, when our kids come in, I've seen so many kids and there is definitely a significant group, their immune system does not work properly. They're either always sick or they're never sick. And both are of concern because something is wrong. So from, I come from that point of view where I also come from the point of view in Asia, if you are sick, you automatically put on a mask so that you're not going to be contagious to other people. Mm -hmm. And it's a courtesy that is just like a normal part of how things run. So, but in my, if just from my idea is that if these kids have immune systems that are compromised, whatever we can do to make it safer for them, let's just do it. And a mask for me is not a big deal. Sure, it can be a big deal if the child won't wear a mask, but maybe those are the exceptions until we can teach them to wear a mask. It's not that hard. It just takes time and patience. If you do it slow enough and if you use ABA, <laughs> we've taught a lot of kids, you know, most kids at CARD now are all wearing masks in our centers and it can happen. And if they can't, it's okay. It can be an IEP goal and a part of the disability. That's the reason why they're not wearing masks. But we can teach all kids to wear masks, all, you know, no matter what their age, no matter what adult. It's just, you know, knowing what motivates them and being, you know, what parts are bothering them, like if they don't like the way it feels, but you, it can be done. I don't think we've had one child, you know, that I know of that we haven't been able to teach how to do a mask. Sometimes it's really quick and sometimes it takes many, many weeks, you know, but it eventually happens if you stick with it. And if you have somebody really targeting the behavior as something that is necessary. And because so many of our kids have immune systems that are not good, and we don't know how COVID affects people and I'm, the, the scary parts of COVID right now um, and how they're affecting kids. It, you know, we just don't know enough. So if we can do anything that makes people safer in general, I'm all for it. You know, I don't know how that stands for people. And, and you know what, thank you for coming at the issue in that way. Cause I think that's a real clear way of looking at it. I find myself saying this a lot lately. If we, if we take everything else out of the equation and think about what is best for the individual, right? And especially when it's a kiddo, because sometimes, and especially when it's one of our kiddos and they can't always language what they want. Like when we're talking to a 25-year-old who already has full command of language, of course, we need to be saying to them, what do you want and listening, right? But when it's a kiddo that is uh, very young and has a compromised ability to communicate their needs, like, you know, it, it becomes so essential that we're always coming from that place about what is the best thing for this individual. And I think what a lot of people leave out is just what you said, our kiddos across the board, we know that there is some kind of immune dysfunction. Uh, I don't think I've met a, a single individual on the autism spectrum or a parent or a caregiver of someone who's on the spectrum who didn't say, yes, I think that is true for my kid. I don't, yeah. I, in my whole time, I don't think I've met a single person who said, oh yeah, no, I think my child's immune system is right on the money. Perfect. You know, um, and if we're coming from that point of view, it suddenly gets clearer, right? That yes, there is the behavioral issue about getting them to wear the mask, but oh my goodness, I remember the early days of this COVID when we were all freaking out about have shoot, you have me, <laughs> my internet. What is up with my internet lately? Um, it's got to be like a neighbor who's like piggybacking onto my, it's the same time every show now. I, we're going to solve this, Traven. But I, I so apologize. I was saying, I remember back in the beginning, the first time I put on a mask to go out and work in my garden, because my garden is very close to the street. And I was like, I can't, I, I can't, I can't do it. I'm not going to make it. I can't breathe. I can't, I don't know how anybody does this, right? And now I wear a mask eight hours and I forget that I have it on my face. And every single person who wrote into this show in the beginning and said to you and said to Dr. Grampy Shea, I, you know, my kid is, with all due respect, my kid is the kiddo that this is not going to be able to happen. And, and, I, and I believe them. I'm like, I don't know your kiddo. I believe that, you know, if that's the case, but then you guys still gave advice and said, well, let's start really slow. Let's do this, you know, step by step. And 
you know, do the, all the good things we know about ABA that we're not going to overwhelm them with it. And we're going to give them rewards for doing it a little bit. And we're going to move the dial along. Every single one of those parents says, it's like a miracle. My kids wear the mask. They wear it better than I do. They're more comfortable with their mask. Like they're more worried now about when masks aren't going to be used. <laughs> exactly. How they're going to get them to not wear the mask. I'm like, that's kind of crazy that we went from, you know, being so concerned about are the kids going to wear the mask that using good ABA, we've gotten to the point where the kids actually like it. They actually, and I, you know, I, I'm there too. Like, I don't know that there's ever going to be a time that I'm not going to wear a mask in Costco. You know what I mean? Cause it's better. It's better well, for me. Yeah. No, I wear it now because I have allergies. It helps my allergies so much when I go for a walk. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I've got allergies this morning um, because I'm, they're cutting down trees by my house and I'm not wearing it in my house. I should, um, because then I would have less of an issue, but yeah, I think, um, you know, I think it's tough for people to go, oh, we're all going to be in the classroom and everybody's, the attempt is going to be there to get everybody to be masked. But I'm a former teacher and I have so many friends who are teachers who all they want to do is be back in the classroom. Yep. Oh my gosh. All they want is to be back in the classroom, but they also have kids and some of their kids are compromised and they're like, I want to go back into the classroom, but I'd like to be as safe as I possibly can. And, you know, it's not ideal for anyone, but if this is, you know, we know that the transmission will be less if we're masked like that, that there are many things we don't know, but that seems very clear from everything that we have seen. So um, I hope that that I want to see what uh, Parker wrote back in, but I hope that's really, really helpful. Yeah, um, and, and I have to say, like. You know, when I work with families, one of the main requests from families is, how do I get my child to tell me when they feel sick, you know, and how to, and then how to deal with like medication or figuring out what symptoms are. And it's related to all those things that are, when our kids can't communicate something that's concrete, you know, and you know that. And so I've worked with so many families on teaching kids how to communicate when they don't feel well and how, you know, the rest of us, if we wake up and we kind of think we have a sore throat, we can tell somebody so we can try to prevent it from like building up. And our kids don't have that ability. And that communication, a lot of the, the people that we work with can't identify what their bodies are actually feeling. And it's just so abstract that, you know, if we can just keep them from not getting sick, you know, yeah. life is just so much better because once they are sick, how can they tell you that they have a headache? Because there's nothing outside that shows yeah. them that they have a headache or they can't breathe unless they're wheezing. But then by that time, that means that it's a severity level that's way more than it should be. And that is a concern that all families have. So that really is why I come from it from this point of view. If we can prevent yeah. people from getting sick, especially people who have uh, compromised immune systems, just, just do it. It's not a big deal to wear a mask, you know? Well, and, um, and I want to say to what you just said, I remember when you encouraged me to send my son to go to a developmental ophthalmologist, was it? I was, oh, yeah. To, yeah. and, um, and one of the things that you said to me at that time is that once kids are a little bit older and have a little bit more language, we can find out a lot more about what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. And, and you were saying to me that sometimes it's not all that uncommon to, you know, to have a seven or eight year old who's now able to communicate, go to the doctor and we find out that they've been seeing double vision and that they never brought it up because they thought that's what everybody, that's what they yep. were supposed to be seeing. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh gosh, I guess I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. Um, so same kind of thing that they don't, sometimes they don't know to tell us that they're not feeling well. And actually that's common mm -hmm. among typical kids. There you go. There that's, you go. A lot of typical kids just think this is how the world looks. And then yeah. you give them glasses and they're just like, I never knew that's what, <laughs> what it looks like. That's what it can be. Um, but Christy has written in and says that this is, you know, that getting used to the mask is not what's happened for her. She says, my daughter did the whole year in the hospitals and never got over the mask issue. It caused her both sensory and panic attacks. So just added one more obstacle to her already stressful day. 
Can I just say with love, and then I want to hear from you, Evelyn, that, you know, I think I've shared it before on the show that I, I'm somebody, you know, who has had a panic attack more than once. And I, you know, I don't qualify for a sensory processing disorder, but like a lot of people, I have sensory processing issues. And, and I know I've talked to a lot of the moms that we, you know, we were talking, what I was saying about that panic of when you've got the mask on and you can't breathe. And, and I won't say that I don't ever get uneasy. But to what, to Evelyn's point about, you know, first of all, because of my, you know, how I deal with panic is that I was taught how uh, to systematically talk myself through things and go, what's happening here? What do I need to do about it? Um, You know, have I felt this way before and was I okay? So that I remove some of the, you know, the, the, the talk that's happening in my head. But I will tell you that one of the things that we've noticed really succinctly, the whole family, is that some masks work better for you than others. Mm -hmm. And that there are some masks that it is like breathing through a pillow and I can't breathe and I panic and I don't handle it well. There are other masks that I I can go all day with the same mask and and I don't get overheated and I feel like I can breathe and... And it's just as safe as the other one, but the way it sits on my face, I'm not inhaling the mask and the way it sits on my ears. Like I've discovered that I like the ones that don't go over the ear that go all the way around the back of the head. And, and my son tried one of those and he's like, you're crazy. That is the most uncomfortable thing I've ever tried in my, he's, he likes the ones that don't even have the adjustable ears. And my husband likes the ones that have adjustable ears and he likes to wear the cage. So I think it's very personal, the mask thing, but I feel, and I, you know, that it's worth looking into because when I wear the wrong mask, it, I panic. Um, and when I don't wear the wrong mask, I don't. So I just want to throw that out there. But what do you want to say about that, Emily? Well, I think, I mean, you're saying in the hospital. So that means there's a lot of other things going on physically. Well, yeah, I hadn't, I, you know, I was thinking she worked in the hospital, but maybe not. I don't know. And if the daughter is in the hospital and there's a lot of other competing physical ailments and sicknesses and everything else, you kind of have to do it by the order of, you know, saliency, the order of like what is needed in this moment, really, like what do we need to take care of? Because I don't know, like, I know that when I'm sick, there's a lot of other things that just are heightened, you know, sensory wise, you know, noises might bother me if I have a headache all the time. If, you know, bright lights might bother me if, you know, for another reason. So if there are a lot of other things going on, you really have to evaluate, you know, the need at that point. And I know like because of COVID, everybody's been like mask, mask, mask. But one of the the mistakes that a lot of people have made is they've pushed it too fast. And that's why initially I said patience, because you do have to figure out, are there sensory issues? Which one? Does it bother my face or does it bother my ears or does it bother my head? We all have different sensory points where we don't like something, you know, and, and I'm, I'm with you, I'm with um, Jim about the across the head. I went yeah. into the first one recently and I was just like, okay, give me my other mask. Back. <laughs> yeah. I don't, this is like annoying, but I had to learn how to like it. And then I figure it out over time. But the thing is figuring it out over time just the whole idea of what feels okay. Our kids don't even know when they're hungry half the time, you know, that this is a part of autism. It's a part of their whole physical state, not being um, understanding what their body is feeling like. So when you come about with masks, you're really having to figure out like if there is a tactile and you know, where is tactile, where does, what part matters more or bothers more and you kind of have to target each area like does systematic sensitization have to happen with your ears or your head or your face you know what feels better and then really slowly doing it and I'm talking seconds it's not like here's five minutes and now we have half an hour and now we have an hour those are big steps and to you know, some neurotypical person out there that might may not be a big deal. But for our, you know, the people that we work with or like, you know, the kids, I mean, we're literally like, okay, here's five seconds and here's a reinforcer. Here's 10 seconds. Here's a reinforcer. And, you know, I see parents standing there going, this is never going to happen. And we're like, hold on. You don't have yeah. to do it. We're, you know, we're helping you with this. And then eventually the kids are walking into the clinic with their masks. 
yeah. then now we have the other thing is they won't take their masks off. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, yes. and that's, I mean, that's just COVID, you know, all the rigidities have been reinforced in, in people with ASD. You know, my kids that had a f held full-time jobs and social lives and then were forced to stay in, we can't get them out the door now. These are adults that for that had been doing these things for like five years. I have one I can't get out the door right now. She has a full tantrum and she was carrying a full job and like going to Special Olympics and doing all these things before. And I, now we're talking about like just trying to get her out the door every day, once a day to go get the mail from the post office. You yeah. know, it's just there. there's a lot of things that our kids have had to adjust to. And you don't know, they can't tell you and communicate what's going on with their body. So a lot of it is patience. And really, you know, if you're working with a BCBA, it's a task analysis, trying to figure out, you know, every little step and portion and what matters and what doesn't matter in the moment and what matters in these two weeks when I was sick. And now two weeks later, those things don't matter so much anymore, <laughs> yeah. you know, and just whatever sensory heightened, but it's taking, it's really moving slowly enough and having a good enough reinforcer in place for every single step so that the person doesn't feel anxious. I know that because of the way COVID has come on, people are really, you know, a lot of fear across the board. So there's been a lot of like the pushing and pushing doesn't work for our kids. Pushing doesn't work for any kids. <laughs> but unfortunately, when we have these mandates, I think that parents and caregivers feel pushed. They're like, well, now I have to be by this thing or my kid gets left out. I just want to point out that one of the things that Evelyn was talking about is working on it outside the event when, when it has to be there. Yes. Because, uh, but it sounds like, and I'm sending, you know, Christy, I'm sending you a hug because I'm seeing some of the things that you're writing in. And we're going to get to your other question here in a second. But, you know, for the things that your, your daughter is being in the hospital for, you didn't have prior notice to work on it before. So I can completely understand why that would be mm -hmm. an additional stressor when you're in an emergency and, and we're trying to get used to these things. But I'm, I'm sending you a hug and hoping that when you're not in an emergency, that you can do some of this that Evelyn is talking about five seconds reinforcer. And we're going to talk about your other question here in just a second, but I, I need to switch gears a little bit and go to Jennifer wrote in right at the start of the show. And she says, my son is 14 and has autism. He has an attitude to everything and still throws fists. What should I do now? Somebody else asked her to clarify, um, is he saying fits or fists? And I, and she wrote it and said, like he is two or three. So I don't know whether it's fists or fits like two or three, but I, I think probably fits like a two or three year old, like a tantrum. Um, and so that's, that's stressful, especially when our kids get bigger and overtake us. And they, uh, my, my grandmother used to have a phrase about, you know, that's when they can plant you in the ground, like a post. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, I think for a lot of families, what I hear from a lot of caregivers is that as they get bigger, the fear of, oh no, what if, and I, and I can think of one very good friend that her son in one of his fits knocked her out, cold cocked her, knocked her out. And, and the crying that happened afterwards from both of them, because she knew that that was a moment that they couldn't come back from. Um, and, and even though her child is, is pretty impacted, she said, I know he knew it too. Um, the good, I'm just going to say that the good that came from that was that mom got the help she needed. Um, and thank goodness that that's the end of that story. But Evelyn, for this person that the child was 14 and, um, that everything is an attitude. And then, um, I'm. I'm hoping they're going to tell us fits or fists, but they're saying two or like they're two or three. Yeah. I, you know, I just need so much more information to really give good advice, but like, I'm going to assume that if you're throwing an attitude that this child is verbal. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to assume that it's a verbal child and just is fighting everything and then has meltdowns like a two or three year old. And I'll come from that point of view. There's a whole, there's a new type of kid uh, across the board, and they're not new because I've seen them for, my oldest one is probably in his mid-20s now, but they're new with the new diagnostic criteria to a lot of other people. 
And those are the ones where I say it's a touch of autism, <laughs> mm -hmm. where they're very vocal and school might even be good, but for the most part, but abstract and nonverbal cues, anything that is not extremely concrete is very difficult to understand. They want the world to work in a black and white way. And you and me, if our whole world wasn't defined for us and we didn't understand, we would be having those fits too. I would be so angry and mad at everywhere I went because now you're changing this, you know, and it might seem obvious because now I'm telling you that you can yell, but the reason you can yell is because that it was okay for that person to yell at you was because you were at, you know, at an outdoor stadium and it was really loud. So now, you know, dad is yelling really loud to make sure you hear, you know, what the instruction is. And the kid has interpreted the yelling as, you know, they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just that miscommunication would just send you into, you'd get tired of it. Because that yeah. means that every moment of your day, things aren't making sense. You have no control of what's happening. You, you learn a rule and you think this is the rule, but then suddenly it's changed. Because in reality, in social settings, social interaction, all rules change and there are exceptions for everything. Yeah. Pretty much. You know, there's an there's always an exception. For my kids who are really rule governed, the ones that want those rules, I always tell them the ultimate rule is things change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because there's as you gain information, it changes the context and the decision making you're making. And so many of our teens just do not understand it. They everything is coming at them as a sudden surprise of like some change that happened. And a lot of our teens who are like this don't read nonverbal cues, meaning they don't read facial expressions. They don't read gestures of people. They're not receiving the warnings that are coming. You know, the example I always use is if you're in a classroom and the teacher keeps looking at her watch or looking at the clock, all those kids in there that can read that and infer that something's going to happen, they've been mm -hmm. warned. But our kid that sees that as just the teacher looking at the, her watch, but doesn't infer something's going to happen. So when that fire drill happens or when somebody comes bursting in the room or when there's a change in schedule, our kid is the only one that's not warned. Yeah. You know, it's they don't. It came out of left field. So they start to try to control their world by putting rules out there, making demands that seem too, you know, off the wall and or too strict or limited. And they're just trying to protect themselves because they're not getting the communication they need, you know, to be able to function in this world. And they're, they're, I love these kids so much because facts work for them and they've worked for them in crazy ways. We just had one recently where the child was actually having bowel movement issues, constipation, and um, he's a fact-oriented kid. So I said, hey, do this, get a book and just do the facts. If you eat fiber, these are the foods that have fiber. And if you drink enough water and if you get enough exercise, and this is what exercise means, you you know, when you have a, go to the bathroom, it won't hurt anymore. Mm -hmm. The next day he did it and that was the end. <laughs> Right. Like literally like that, just going by the facts, you know, having someone tell him for years that this is what he should do and, you know, he should eat better, but it was also vague about what does eat better mean, you know, yeah. or drink more water. Like, why should I drink more water? But like, we literally did the biological aspect of it, you know, wow. or we had a kid who was four and started to fascination with death and a lot of our kids have this fascination of death because they get a lot of attention from it too but I just the dad was a doctor and I just said can you sit with him and just explain to him how his body works with his heart and his brain and everything dad went through it took out his medical books and dad thought I was crazy and the kid was like oh okay and then all fascination of death was gone <laughs> like, like it's just like there's they want the black and white that they know, you know, the, all the social information is so abstract and so hard to understand. And when is good, good, because yesterday this was good, but today it's bad, you know, or yeah. yes, you know, if your life is only a, a coin where you're either a success because you're perfect or you're a failure, you're going to hit failure much more than your success because there's no one that's perfect. Right. You know, and I'm always telling these kids, no matter how hard you try, you're not going to be perfect. So you, we need another definition. 
(laughs) you know, for how things go. And they need to learn all the gray in between because life is really a continuum of moving back and forth and feeling good when you get, you know, when you have contact with good things, you know, reinforcers and see how it's positive in your life and see yourself moving and getting better. And then, um, and we feel good about ourselves when we get better at something. We'll never be perfect. And there are people who are perfectionists and they're always, you know, they, it's like self-torture to be a perfectionist. But, you know, but they know that is not reality. And but if our kids, if that's the only definition they have, they're either failing or they're successful. And life is really hard because nobody's perfect. So they're, they're failing the majority of the time. Wow. And it's just the, the emotions that come from it. You know, if we all thought that's what was happening to us, we would all be depressed and sad and not, under, you know, be really upset too. And so many of these kids, that's how they view the world and how they view what they're doing. And, you know, they want all these rules to stay intact, but we're giving them a thousand exceptions every time something changes. And I've had kids tell me like, but I really want to be perfect. And I'm like, no matter how much you want it, it's not going to happen. I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah. You know, so there's a, just a lot. And we have a lot of these kids who are very vocal and they're vocal, but they don't have a lot of words. And yeah. it's, it takes somebody really to realize you don't have the words you need to describe all your things in between, you know, or you have the wrong definition for those words. You're saying, okay, but what you mean by, okay, that is perfect. It's funny when you were describing, you know, imagine if you were in this circumstance where you didn't have the context and you didn't understand in one place, the rule is this. And then two days later, the rule is this. And you're like, wait a second, I don't know. And how, how that would feel, how out of control it would feel. I, I think we can all relate to that. Cause isn't that exactly how we have all felt in COVID? It's like the rule gets told that it's this. And then two days later, the rule is different. And we're like, somebody just explain it to me and tell me what the rules are and give me a well-defined thing. And being told we're, you know, we don't know, and we're giving you the information as it comes has been frustrating for all of us. So I think we can relate to that and think about how frustrated we've been. I've heard all these stories of people who, in fact, we just had uh, a, a, a psychiatrist on the other day who was talking about that there is this fallout from COVID that we're all less patient, that we're all more likely to fly off the handle, that, you know, people who have not been contra- con confrontational or violent have felt like, who am I? I want to punch this person. Right. So if we can all relate to that, that this, you know, 14 year old is struggling because he, he can't find ground. How can we help this mom so that she can help her child and that we don't get to the point where he's throwing fits like a two-year-old? How can, what can we put in mom's backpack to help her? Evelyn? Well, I think like, I I don't take for granted where your kid is. Like a good neuropsych assessment is wonderful because it tells you how much language do they understand, how much social, like just all, just you get a baseline and then you get- well, Who like, do you I, go to for that, Evelyn? Who's the person? Uh, depending on the age, it could be a developmental pediatrician, developmental psychologist. Um, it can be a, neuro, a pedi- pediatric neurologist. Like it, it's, 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 you know, your MD should be able to direct you to get that. Okay. Um, but really comprehensive. Schools don't do a thorough neuropsych eval. They do what's within the academic setting. And school psychologists are only trained really for that academic portion. So that might help the reporting, but it's usually not comprehensive enough. And so I think if you can get that going figure out what, how much your child actually understands uh, across, you know, many different levels, then get, bring a BCBA in and start doing uh, what we call a functional behavior assessment. Okay. What are all the times that he tantrums? What would happened before? What did we do after? And you can tell your little fold of your ABCs, <laughs> Shannon, okay. but just okay, going through and, and figuring out like, why is he having this tantrum? And then, you can create a behavior intervention plan for it. And you want someone who's able to observe your child in different settings when these things occur. They really do need to know, um, you know, because, and there's environmental variables that you may not be aware of, but as someone coming from the outside looking in, they might be able to see. And really like now that we are out and about more, just, you know, whether it's masked, you know, whatever form, but being able to see where your child is functioning on a normal day-to-day with normal demands 
and being able to identify what are those antecedents, you know, what are, you know, consequences, what are the replacement skills that he needs, you know, to communicate what he needs so that this, he doesn't have to throw himself into a tizzy, you know, when something um, goes wrong or doesn't go his way, you know, or just to get attention. You know, we don't know. And if you bring a good behavior analyst in who's really, and you know, able to observe and see your child in all these different settings and all these different places, you know, they'll be able to figure out a replacement um, plan and be able to teach you how to use the right behavioral techniques, you know, to mitigate it so that hopefully we can minimize, you know, all these problem behaviors. It really is just, a, you know, a, it's the power of observation. <laughs> there we go. Well, and uh, there were some words that Evelyn used in there that I want to make sure that everybody understands. A BCBA is a board certified behavior analyst. Um, they're an expert in ABA, applied behavior analysis. You want to make sure that you're with one who also is an expert in autism because you can be a BCBA and not work in the field of autism. Just want to be clear about that because people don't often know that. So you have to, they have to be a BCBA and they have to experience expertise in the field of autism. But, but uh, Evelyn said I could get out my little paper. And so that's why I started doing my little origami project. So I have, you know, everybody can find access to a piece of notebook paper. And what I do is I fold it into three. That's my origami project. And I write across the top. I don't know if you can see. I, it's easy to remember A, B, C. That's white, whiting out, but there's the C. So A is the fancy word that Ev used was antecedent. It's, it's not our jargon today, but let's make it the jar jargon for the day. It just means what happened before. What happened before? The B stands for the behavior and the C stands for the consequence. And for those of us who do not have advanced degrees in psychology and aren't familiar with ABA, this is like the first step. We can all do this. So, you know, your kiddo throws a fit. Um, it's, we, we're learning the ABCs of behavior and it happens in the ABC order, but we often don't experience it that way until we come to think of it a different way. So we start with the behavior. Your kiddo throws a fit. And when they're throwing the fit, you need to be thinking about this piece of paper and be watching it, making sure you're safe, your child is safe, and that property is safe, right? But in your head, you're thinking, later on, I'm going to have to write down exactly what this behavior was. Like, did he start out whining, and then he punched the pillow, and then he kicked the furniture, and then he spit on the coffee table, and then he twirled around four times, and he laid down on the floor, and he kicked his arms and legs. Like, you just need to be, like, being a court reporter in your head and be watching the behavior so that you can write it all down, because this is going to be helpful to your BCBA later on. So first thing you do is you, you're thinking about what is the behavior so that you can write it down later on. And the first chance you get when everything is done and everything is over, you're going to write down what the behavior was in the B column. Then you're going to think about what happened as a result of the behavior. And, and often you're not going to have thought about that, but you're, so your child spit on the coffee table, threw himself on the floor, kicked their arms and their legs. And when, you know, when it was over, did you give them lemonade and cookies, which is what I have done before. Like, don't judge yourself. I have done that before, but just write it down. No judgment. What was the consequence for the behavior? But then you have to be a detective and think, okay, now that I've written that down, I got to go back in time and with the best recollection I have, what happened right beforehand? Did, you know, write down the time. Like, did I say to him, um, hey, later we're going to grandma's? Did I, did I say to him, you need to brush your teeth? Like, what happened? No judgment again. What happened directly before? And sometimes it's that I just fed my child a piece of chocolate cake or we just had a treat or we just were you know, talking to this person and we had to leave, whatever it is. And, and, you know, that's the whole event and just keep a diary this way. You will start to see things. You will start to see trends, but really the gift of this is that then you hand this to your BCBA expert and you go, well, here's what's going on. They will think that you are amazing, right? <laughs> Won't they? Yes. They're, they're like, woo, this helps me so much. This is the fast track to finding the answer. But they will do the detective work. But often as a parent, you go, well, that's interesting. It keeps happening at 2.11. Just like I just said, my internet keeps leaving at the same time. That's not a coincidence. Something's going on, right? Then you can go look for what is the thing going on. But 
then they start to figure out why the behavior is happening. And then they can, they already have the answer of how to fix the behavior. It's just as if they have to know what the behavior is doing and then they can fit the right answer to it. This is like the keys to the kingdom. Um, they have a, a name for what they call that the three term contingency. We don't care. We like that's, you know, you're not, you're not going to say, Oh, the three term contingency in the grocery store when you're talking to your friend, Betty, but you know, if you care, that's what they call it. But the little sheet, and you can do this on your phone. It doesn't have to be in three columns. You just remember the ABCs behavior consequence. The A stands for what happened before. But if you can, when he starts throwing these fits, if you can do one of these for what, a week, Evelyn? Yeah. I mean, you, you know when these fits tend to happen, you know? So you just have to choose a time period that is encompassing over multiple days, you know, multiple situations. And what, cause what could happen is in one situation, he's doing it for one reason, but in another situation, he's doing it for a different reason. And that's where your BCBA, but will be able to look at the content of what you've written down and to be able to decide like, Oh, he has a fit. He has a fit here because he didn't get what he wanted, but he has a fit here because he needs to leave. He wants, you know, he wants to escape the situation as, avoid what's going on as much as possible. And so then there's two different behavior plans because, you know, what we call it is it's a different function. There's a different reason for why he's having this fit. It's just the same fit works for all these reasons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or I can have a fit and suddenly mom comes running to me. Yeah. It's like amazing. You know, I can just do Make one sense. thing and all these things happen. <laughs> yes. And in fact, if you don't treat this kind of behavior, that is exactly what happens, that they start using that for every single thing that they need in their lives. And your life, you can feel the toilet flushing in the background of your life because everything is upended and your child is throwing a fit for everything and your quality of life is gone. Yes. Um, and their quality of life is not good because if you have, it takes a lot of energy. I've thrown a tantrum or two in my life, including in my adulthood. It takes a lot of energy to throw a tantrum to get your needs met. And what we find across the board is when you give these individuals a better way to get their needs met, they won't waste the energy to throw a tantrum. Oh, yeah. I have. I, I love when they're vocal enough where it's like, doesn't it take a lot of work to cry like that? And they're like, yes. And I said, isn't it easier just to say blank? And they're like, yes. And I said, so what are you going to do next time? And they look at me like, okay, I should just say that. And I'm like, well, you made the choice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's so funny because sometimes it's a light bulb for them too. They look at me like, oh, yeah, that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. And it is. It is. Okay, I got to switch to Christy's first question. And I know you've written in more, Christy. So she says, my daughter has many visuals and schedule and aids, but she continues to refuse to use them. If they are working for her, she seems to get bothered that it is working and that her code has been cracked. So, so she will have a behavior that could have been avoided if she had stuck to the schedule, but she seems to be looking for reasons to be miserable and can't stand to function without the misery. So being organized and regulated seems to make her dysregulated, if that makes sense. I just don't know what to do about it. We've tried ABA, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and DBT. I'm not sure I know what that is. I, I love DBT. Okay. And she, she says she's 15 and this problem has existed from the start. There is more information if you need it, Ev, but that's, um, yeah, I see her next one, which says she did two residential settings. She does well on the structured rules are the rules and no outside stressors are added, but she always graduates in 30 days. She can tell you the rules she's does awful at the point of performance. She unwinds too quick and her negative self-talk takes over too quick in the real world. It's very hard to watch and work through. So there's a couple of different things going on. You are somewhat correct in the sense that dysregulating is more of her norm because probably for the 15 years, some of it's habit. It's familiar. She knows what to expect. She knows what's going to happen when she has a meltdown. And like all of us, familiarity sometimes breeds, you know, it makes you do things the same thing more often just because you know this, you know, this is what's going to happen. It's familiar. Yeah. And you know, the result that she's going to end up, you know, in this place or in her room or, you know, there's some reinforcers that are there because it is familiar. 
when she does start to learn and to abide by the rules and everything, I'm, my guess is those visual schedules and things aren't fulfilling what she really needs. You know, she, it probably gets her a certain amount of reinforcement that might get her like initially moving, but the rest there are, she has other needs just like every human being and they change. And if she can't communicate what she's actually thinking or wanting or needing or is into, she's going to continue. It's not continue not to work because it's very limiting. It's like if we told you, Hey, here are these 20 sentences that you can say, and this is all you can say. And maybe in a certain context, those 20 sentences work great. But then suddenly the context moves or needs change and none of those things fit anymore. And it becomes what, and our kids are all or nothing. So then it's useless. And I'm just going to throw it out, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like it, and our kids are all or none, right? These kids yeah. on the spectrum. So, you know, what it sounds like is, you know, these programs that are 30 days, it manages the behaviors, but it doesn't teach her anything new. And that's the part that she needs, that she needs. She needs more teaching, you know, and that's why I was saying I like actually dialectical behavior therapy because dialectical behavior therapy was originally created for borderline suicidal patients. And if you, and it has a whole psychoeducational component, creating goals, new learning targets. And it's very, it's a, we call it a cousin of ABA. Okay. You know, the first time I saw DBT, it was from the creator of it. And um, I had a psychologist at card drag me to it. It was a CE event. And I was like, I don't want to go. And she was like, you have to come with me. This is all that you do. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she dragged me creaking and screaming. And I sit, stood there and I was like, oh my goodness, this is what I do. <laughs> like the only <laughs> difference is that with the ASD individual, you're not going to assume they have perspective taking. Okay. So you still have to teach a lot of social skills, like social understanding, as opposed to DBT, it's used with people who are pretty neurotypical, but what I've discovered is they tend to be more concrete thinkers. Okay. So they may not meet the criteria for ASD, but they are, they tend to be very black and white individuals. They want things to go a certain way. They identify information a certain way. They, um, there a lot of times are social skills missing. So that psychoeducational component about understanding somebody else's perspective, they might know that the person has a perspective, but they don't go like that next step to really figure out why that perspective is important. So okay. it's kind of, that's why they call it a cousin of ABA because it does have that challenging behavior component plus the skill acquisition component. There's things to learn still. And your daughter's kind of like right in between there. She has ASD, so she's right on that line, but she's not quite getting everything that the neurotypical person has too. She probably understands some things. There's going to be holes and there's going to be some significant holes if she has that ASD diagnosis and figuring out what those holes are and teaching her replacement behaviors and teaching her understanding how things work. This is the kid typically that I go very factual with. I, 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 if, if there's a factual way to identify this, I try to go factual first because sometimes when it works, it's amazing. Like they're like, oh, that's how it works. <laughs> you know, even how the idea of being sick, I taught a kid how to read his blood work mm. <laughs> because he was, so, he, he was, he would start to look it up on the internet. And at the end of every internet search on, you know, something you, you die, yes. <laughs> you yes. know, like, and we actually had to ban him from the internet and then just like give him like, Hey, here's the information you need to know. This is how your body works. This is how, you know, you don't have a brain tumor because you had a headache because right. he would always jump to like the most extreme. And, um, but if I stayed very, you start very factual and then you figure out what don't you understand? Like for a lot of these kids, they don't have that gray. They think that if you say you're okay, good, fine, means that you're perfect. So they hear, and they hear people use it and they kind of understand that it's a good thing. But when they use it themselves, all the four of those things are equal. They don't realize that you can really love something sometimes. And, but if you eat pizza five days in a row, you might not want it today. You can still love it, but you do not want it. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like just understanding that is like, 
it's very hard for our kids on the spectrum. So, you know, understanding that there is a difference between like, I, I always use food because it seems to be that there is food items that go across, you know, everything from I hate it and I won't touch it to I love it. I'll eat it all the time. There's yeah. I like it sometimes. I like it when it's cooked a certain way. Yeah. It's okay, but I won't choose it. But if I'm starving, I will eat it. There's here and no there foods. There's foods that I I don't really like it, but if I'm starving, I'll eat it. And then there's the foods that no, I won't touch it no matter what. <laughs> and and I actually have them choose it, and we do this whole you know choice thing. It's called a paired choice reinforcer, and we usually we use it to rank reinforcement. But I actually make the kids go through. I choose things across the whole. Um, spectrum and then I have the kid do like would you like this or this would you like this or this so they can see the 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 logic in it yeah and then I'll I'll rank it and then I'll start to draw you love this you like this you think this is okay you don't really like this but you'll eat it sometimes and you really hate this they get so angry with me if I want a tantrum from a teenager that hasn't had a tantrum in 10 years, that's the place because they'll be yelling at me saying, no, 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 no. I really love this. It's not just okay. <laughs> and it's just like they're because you're trying to break down that black and white. You're trying to get them to see the yeah. continuum. And if, if all of their definitions of the middle are all one extreme or the other, life yeah. is super hard. Yeah. And so there are a lot of times for these kids, even when they talk a lot, their definitions of words are wrong. The logic they have in terms of why things are done are not right. And that's why like, I'm always encouraging behavior analysts with these kind of kids, don't start teaching right away. You have to figure out what rules in their head that's wrong. Yeah. So you have to take baselines of what they think, why something happens. And, yeah. and I get, you know, sometimes the kids will come up to me and say like, he hates me because of, you know, um, he like, turned his head and sneezed and, and like ran into the bathroom and it's like well no he probably something probably happened right, right. <laughs> you know yeah. but they don't they're not reading all those social cues they just know he hates me now or wow. you know my kid I have a kid who actually has something else um I can't even remember what he had combination of what he has and he he his mom's been telling me that he gets bullied so his mom's picking my brain right how to deal with bullies and for years and I was visiting them on the East Coast, and we went to go pick him up. And I, and then when we drove up, mom says, oh, no, that kid's with him. And I looked at the kid. I was like, he's on the spectrum. So it was a kid that this other kid was saying was a bully. And I was like, and he got in the car, and I said, hey, does he have autism? And he's like, yes. I said, okay, we're redoing your whole bullying thing. It's not bullying. Yeah. <laughs> he only understands X, Y, and Z, and that's why he's treating you this way. Yeah, You know, and it can go both ways, you know, for so many things, but there's a lot of information that's missing. So you need to go in and figure out what the holes are and start to teach her how to read, how to def redefine things, rules that she thought were from one reason aren't, you know, they're wrong rules. Yeah. And so you have to redefine it. Um, you can explain a lot to her and it is exhausting. Yeah. That's it, what this, mom has written in. It's yeah. Exhausting. And. And these families, because I've actually, I have a friend's kid who's at this level, and I've actually taken, he's stayed over at my house, and it is exhausting, even if I know what to do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. and, um, but it is just taking the time and figuring out what's the priority in the moment and not trying to let it overwhelm you as a parent. Yeah. You know, you figure out what's going to keep her safe first and working at that level and trying to keep it at a small level so you can, as you reach each goal, and actually really giving her a lot of reinforcement as she reaches each goal, too. And, okay. you know, not, take, not taking for granted what reinforcement is. Kids at this level, actually, their reinforcers change quite a bit. Minute by and, minute, I would imagine. And you have to actually activate whatever is reinforcing at the moment because they are bright enough to be searching and looking and, you know, interested yeah. enough and enough out there that it doesn't stay the same. But, you know, this is where you get a good DBT and ABA. And if you can get DBT and ABA to work together yeah. in communication, you can get a really good program going. You know? I find it really, we're out of time, but I find it really interesting. The, the comment that mom made about it seems like, you know, she wants to be miserable and, and, and I was listening to what you were saying, and we all know somebody who, you know, picks being with relationships with people where it's not good for them, right? We've all seen people who go through that. But I was also thinking about, 
you know, the friends that we have that, for instance, I think we all have one friend that they write every little thing that happens to them in the day on their Facebook post as if it is the, the highest drama in the world. And they're always having things going on. And, and it's because that's how they get their attention. I'm wondering if the part of the being miserable is part of it is what I'm used to and I don't know any other thing, but also, you know, I want to know what the C is on here is that what, what does that mean for her when she's miserable? Does that mean that people gather around her and she gets more attention or does it mean that she gets time to be by herself, which is what she really like? I'm, I'm curious as to what's the paycheck that's comfortable for being miserable. What is, what is she getting from it? Mm -hmm. Which is an interesting thing, but they, but she, but parents said, excellent. Thank you. I will do my research and help her. Um, uh, she has even said that the, the work makes no sense to me. I hate that people assume it does because I can't, I can speak doesn't mean I really understand. Oh yep. yes. Heart-rending. It's the words. We assume so much. Yeah. And even for our behavior analysts, when they come in, I said, you need to check language. And they're like, oh, they talk a lot. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What a gift you are to our community, Evelyn Kong. I'm so glad that you were here today and that we were able to have the conversation with the people that we did. We are out of time. I want to tell people that we're back tomorrow live with Bonnie Yates. We're talking about special education. If you have a question, a lot of you went back to school this week or going or back next week. If you have a question or you didn't get your comp ed figured out, um, please write that to me right now at s.penrod at autism live.com um, because I've got room for a couple of questions for her, but I need them like within the hour s dot penrod at autism hyphen live.com. Traven, if you have a second and can put that in the comments, that would be brilliant. But um, Evelyn Kong, you are amazing. And like I said, a gift to our community. Thank you so much for all the work that you continue to do and have done for so many years. We just appreciate you. I hope you feel that in your bones. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You guys, I will see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.